What's going on, everyone? It's Mitch from RespectMerchant.com. We're back with another episode of the RMR Podcast today, joined by special guest Tim Blake of the Emerald Cup. How are we doing today, Tim? Excellent. Pleasure to be here. Nice to be back. Uh, no, man. Always, always great to have you on here. I know we got we got the Emerald Cup coming up this weekend, man. So the 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 mad the, the Emerald Cup awards coming up this weekend. The madness. Uh, you're, you're, just, you're almost in the eye of the storm, man. How are you feeling about this event? I'm feeling good. Last year we were going to LA to uh, with Green Street to their show, and it got canceled at the last moment. We had 30 days to pull out a whole award ceremony, and we had to find the Multibon and put a show on in 35 days. And it was stressful. I mean, we just, it was, it, you can't do that. We pulled it off. But this year, with the time we've had, it's been just a pleasure because, yeah, there's all your regular, you know, production stress. They did a uh, survey, and in the top five in the last two years, the most stressful jobs in the world are event production. And it's true, you know, especially with COVID and the legalization and everything. It's tough, but uh, this one feels good. We have a great crew, a nice site, and I'm really excited about it. I love that. And this, and this is the first time you guys are like prop Bay Area proper, correct? Well, it's interesting. We used to do a combined competition award ceremony and the show in Santa Rosa. We separated after legalization because we couldn't get the judging done quick enough with everything having to go through distribution people and testing and everything. It was too much. So we backed the competition up, judging into the into the winter months. And then we do the ECAs in the, in the spring. But we still do the harvest ball here in Santa Rosa in the fall because people want to get together for that show. But we've been waiting to get our full home for the Emerald Cup Awards because we wanted to take it to L.A. We were one public hearing from having Long Beach let us into the Queen Mary in 2017 and then COVID hit or 2018. So we've been planning on getting down there, but there's really nothing open. So we're really happy to be back in the Bay at, at, at the Craneway this year. And that's the thing, like you said, event production is incredibly stressful. I, I know that all too, intim- all too intimately. But when you add in that factor of cannabis and just trying to get around regulation and where people are going to allow, you know, cannabis to be cannabis is is a very difficult thing, especially when you start looking at areas like L.A. What has what your experience been trying to find a venue, let you guys be who you are and and, you know, them to be excited and, and basically allow that? This has all been about education. We first came to the Sonoma County Fairgrounds. We wrote a 22-page proposal talking about a cannabis country fair, and they let us in when Mendocino and Humboldt wouldn't. That's why we went to Sonoma. So we had trouble. Then we get down there, and we do great. Legalization comes, and it's been five years of battle with the DCC, which is the Department of Cannabis Control. They didn't know what events were. They didn't understand how critical they were. We had to go to 10 meetings to get on their agenda. The first year, they wanted to have us pull everything off the uh, site. They wanted us to throw away everything on the tables. We had to build arm vaults behind to show them what to do. Last year, two years ago, the DCC came in heavy handed. Uh, they were hassling consumers. They were hassling people behind the booth. They were handing out bud. They wouldn't let people show jars of flowers. I mean, it was a disaster. And we got together with them and told them, it's like, look, we're either going to end events and you won't have a job and I won't have a job, or we're going to figure out how to work together because this doesn't work. And I mean, people were up in arms about it. And so we got together with uh, 10 of them and we let them have a speaker panel at the last year's Harvest Ball. We let them have a free booth and we brought them in to discuss everything with our community. And instead of making it adversarial, we all got together and realized, hey, we're all okay. And by the end of the weekend, they were like, man, we really like your community. We realized that, you know, we don't have any of these issues and we're going to really work together. And so they let the farmers put their flowers on the tables and they didn't give people hassles if they shared joints back and they just stopped hassling the consumers. And, and we're doing this not just for the Emerald Cup, but for every event in California. 
I mean, everything we do is so that every event can function smoothly. And uh, so the DCC and us have had a long relationship. We're finally working it out and it's much better. So it's both goes well for all events going forward. Well, I salute you guys for doing that. You know, I, I live in, in the state of Washington where our, uh, it's not the DCC, it's the LCB. Those guys are yeah. not helpful and have crushed any sort yeah. of community gathering yeah. or event. Um, and so I, I constantly am, am pleading to look to California and what you guys are helping build down there is an example that this can happen and whatever fear mongering or worries they have don't happen at, at cannabis events, man. You know what? That's what we find. People are coming from all over the country to learn what we're doing and to see it. Uh, the DCC knows that. And we're telling them, look, you're going to show people how to mess up events all over the country. So let's show them how to do it right. You know, and it's really been a wonderful process. One of the big things that we're really working on them is that most small farmers make it uh, traditional markets. They go to the farmer's market locally every week. Mm -hmm. That's where they sell their apples and their vegetables and whatnot. And cannabis farmers need the same thing. They need that direct access and every local farmer's market. And there's no reason why they can't, except for the trust issue. It's a tr like, we don't, we don't trust you to tell us exactly what you sold and everything else. But at the end of the day, like I tell them, you're going to have to trust us or you're going to destroy what's left of the small farmers because they need those direct market sales. So well, once we get that down, it'll, it'll work out into Washington, all over the country, and it'll really straighten it out because California does lead the way. And so with everybody's looking at us. Absolutely. And that's, you know, my, my local's farmer's market, there's always one or two wine tastings. So they have a pretty un, yeah. unregulated, there's no authorities there. You just show your ID to a little, you know, husband and wife owned winery and you can do a tasting and buy bottles right there and no issues. Now, look, you know what? They didn't allow, I follow the alcohol, you know, industry and they didn't allow um, on-site tours or people selling on there for about 60, 70 years. It wasn't until the last 20 years that they've opened up. They didn't trust the alcohol people either. You know, they don't trust anybody because they don't trust themselves. But, you know, they've found, look what that's done for small uh, wineries, for craft mm -hmm. breweries. Look what's happening to spirits and the craft spirit producers. And it's all about the story and getting in front of consumers and the brand and going to the farms. And that's critical. And so, uh, yeah, they're now allowing it with the uh, the vineyards and the wineries, and they need to just allow it sooner. They can't take 60 years. they got to do it in the next couple for the cannabis people. No, and man, I never even thought about that. That's super interesting that that's only been allowed the last couple of decades because you look at the rise of craft and small business in alcohol, and that's really only been the last couple of decades, too, coupled right alongside of that. Well, yeah, because they kept it out. And look, you know, the big alcohol companies, obviously Budweiser and Coors was not lobbying to let small craft breweries in. You know, they weren't letting that. But you see like Lagunitas in California that's become a, they were small, they're big now. And some of the, like Sierra Nevada, these were small craft breweries that are now big. And they, that's because they got a start and they were able to have a fair shot. Same with the cannabis people. You give them that chance and a lot of these small brands, because they got great stories and they got great products, they just need access. Absolutely. And, and I know, you know, right before we got started, you were on the phone working with some farmers. I'm just curious, you know, from your perspective, you, you've been one of the one of the the faces for what comes from the Emerald Triangle and protecting and, and speaking those stories and, and protecting that heritage. What importance in the modern cannabis market do you see cannabis from the Emerald Triangle and those farmers? What, what do they contribute to the modern cannabis industry? 
Well, first of all, you go back to the genetics. Everybody in Europe knows that the best uh, genetics aren't coming from Europe. They're coming from Northern California, the Emerald Triangle, and really on the West Coast. I give Washington, Oregon, the whole West Coast. But if you're going back to that question, uh, the genetics that the Northern California Emerald Triangle farmers have delivered have changed the day. I mean, look at it. It was all OG, Sour D, some clones of fuels. Now I can't even keep up with the crosses and what they're doing with the you know, hybrids and all the cultivars. It's incredible just to see uh, that. And also, we're also showing people how to farm right and sustainable and organic rather than with a bunch of chemicals and things that are really hurting the ground. We really led the way with the Emerald Cup. Uh, the first year we started testing concentrates, we had a 75% failure. The second year, it was 5% because we told them we'd all, we'd all put them on blast out in public and people realized that's going to stop. So the Emerald Triangle, I think, has really led in quality farming and getting testing done. They've led in genetics. They've led in all the cultivars and the best flowers coming out for sure. And even all the best products. I mean, now you got to include the state, but I mean, come on, where's the best material coming from? It's pretty much California, followed by, you know, Oregon and Washington. Uh, because you guys have always been legacy farmers, too. You guys have had your underground niches in, in Washington and Oregon all the way through, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what, you know, back in the day, I always said we're, we're praying for a Cali plug, but we'll settle for someone from Southern Oregon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll take it. Sure. Yeah. And that, that was, you know, but the thing is that I that I, I, I was, you know, I've, I've spoke about for a long time coming from the legacy market that, that the consumer associated California and the Emerald Triangle with quality and something that was sought after. And, and I'm always vocal about forward thinking when we have federal legalization and a consumer can go in in any state and see products from all over any shelf that that grown in California on the jar is going to be the strongest marketing statement that uh, that could be said. And we see it in the legacy market, because even back in the day when I was buying packs out of Southern Oregon, you know, they may or may not have been told to a few people that they came from California once or twice because I helped them move a little bit quicker, man. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the best flowers have come from Northern California. Come on, Reggae and the River. People have been going for 30 years to come to Reggae and the River and find their supplies. And, uh, you know, we really were um, we were ground zero for, you know, the OG marketplace. And uh, I'm really proud of what the people have done up here and where they've gone and all the flowers. It's tough to see, you know, 90 percent of them gone. But the ones that are left are making some good products. And what do you, beyond just growing good flour, because a lot of the people that are gone, you know, obviously still grow good flour. But what are what are some of those things that that they're doing from out there to to remain successful? I know it's a battle, but what are some of those Northern California farmers doing to, to stay in the ring? Well, one thing they had to do is cut costs. Like any business, you got to slash those costs. You see a lot of mom and pop farms and you got husband and wife teams out there doing just about everything. Uh, they've gotten rid of most of the labor. They've had to really buck it up and they're, they're just killing themselves, you know, keeping the costs down, but people have to do it right now with where the numbers are. You got to grow quality flour. Uh, I told people for the last 20 years, you know, it used to be, you could grow a, a C or D grade product and wait till it get dry in the summer and sell it back East for top dollar. Those days are done. I told people 19 years ago, those days were going to be done. And I've been telling them all the way through two buck chucks going to be owned by Budweiser and you better grow a good flower. You're not going to be on the market shelf. So they really have to bring quality stuff. And a lot of people are trying to grow quantity doing let's grow as much as we can. And most of them ended up with a bunch of cannabis they couldn't sell or they had to sell really cheap. And now they're realizing dudes grow less and grow better, you know, really dial in the quantity, the quality, and you're going to be a lot better off because you get better numbers. So, you know, you got to get those costs down. You got to bring quality and you got to have that story you got to be really willing to get off the farm or at least heavily into social media and tell your story. 
because people want to hear that. They love hearing the story with the vineyards and the breweries and the spirits. They want to go hear those people and mm -hmm. they want to know a good story. But most traditional farmers really are more, they're introverted. They're not really, they weren't really made to go out and evangelize for themselves and puff their chests up and say how great they are. They were humble people in the mountains, you know, and so now they've got to go out there and be great. Even I'm one of those. You got to be great at social media and put your three hours on. And I've got a book project I'm selling. And the first thing she said was, well, if you want this book project to go, you better triple those numbers you're on social media. And I never really cared that much because I've never been that guy. And I was like, oh, my gosh, so the last couple of years, I've been three hours on social media pounding away, realizing this is what you want to do. If you want to sell a book, if you want to sell a song, if you want to sell cannabis. So you got to be able to tell the story and do the socials and you got to keep the cost down and you got to grow a good product and good flower. Yeah. Yeah. That social media on the tip of the social media, it's an amazing tool to go direct to the people, but it, it is a task, man. So, you know, obviously, like you said, you, you have to space out the award show with the actual, the judging, how many entries did you have into the Emerald cup cup this year overall? And then like in the main, you know, flower and concentrate categories. We got 768, almost 700, uh, 700 entries, which was amazing for us. We were really thinking that we might drop, if you look at the industry, 75% of the brands are gone. The industry has been slaughtered. We were thinking we might watch. We had 700 the year before, 730. We thought we might lose half our entries, but we held up very well. It's been a really great process. Uh, the judging takes place for about five weeks. Our judging just got finished. Uh, boy, 48 contests and over 100 judges and the teams and all the Zoom calls and all the in-person gatherings. Tremendous task to pull off, but we've done that. And... Uh, now we're heading towards the show to do the awards and to give all those other, you know, special, uh, you know, accolades to uh, deserving people. And boy, it's just the excitement's building. So for a single judge, how many uh, products is, is your average judge going through for this? Well, let's start with the flowers. Uh, 320 uh, flower entries. So you've got judges, you got 20 judges that are giving a gram, a gram and a half of each flower. And they spend a month uh, sampling that. So they're going through about 12 samples a day, every day for, for a month. Now, they don't have to smoke a lot off every one of them because you could take a toke or two and get the taste and get a feel for it so they can spread it out. And uh, so they get some time. And then we have three judges meetings and then a final judges gathering for two days where they sit down and then bring it all out, bring their scores together, and then sit down and go through every one on the tables together so that it's all, you know, best insured wins. Uh, that's the judging for the flowers. A lot of the other contests are Zooms because we don't get in person, but there are several Zoom calls. Uh, the judges get together multiple times and go through it. Again, we don't let the scores, you know, end the contest. The judges need to get together and have a roundtable discussion with lively debates. We'd love to record and, and go around it. And so it's really interesting. It's, it's, it's to sit in on those judges calls is incredibly, uh, enlightening it's a learning experience it's humbling and inspiring to me because i realize there's a whole lot of people that know a lot more than i do you know i'm i'm 68 and uh i don't keep up with everything like i did uh i do but i mean these people are just they're just yeah. studs uh and so it's amazing it's really wonderful and that i mean and i like that especially on i mean the flowers the most important thing, you know, we're talking about cannabis because everything else comes from that, right? There's concentrates, edibles, it, it, it all starts with, with the plant, right? And so I, I get the the emphasis, the heavy emphasis around the flower. And, and I like that there's that community aspect of people judging on their own, but then coming, coming together to share notes because I think 
that helps share perspective and and you might have your own perspective and be looking at something but someone else can help unlock and kind of give you a little bit of a different look does that end up you feel like people kind of rank things on their favorite and do you think that community aspect kind of gets them to shake up out of their own framework and, and maybe rethink their list yeah you know it's really uh it needs to be a team effort because with 320 entries and like you know you got categories sun grown mixed light indoor personal third party i mean there's a lot of categories to do and then we're also highlighting and acknowledging all the terpene profiles and so there's just a lot of work to do and when you go through all that you know sometimes one judge will get a better bud than somebody else did and they'll go wow i gotta go back and test that and then they'll be like wow that's that really is better and, and you know and uh some some may not look quite as good so they'll score it lower and then when they get the jars together because when you're looking at a gram and a half sometimes it's hard to really take the whole picture when you get together and then you see the jar and everybody gets to talk about it uh and so yes there are judges opinions that are that are changed and there are uh lively conversations going back between the different preferences because at the end of the day everybody has preferences you know some people like gas some people like desserts you know some people like indoor some people like like outdoor this year we do a best of show at the end of the you know end of it between the winners very interesting uh because in the beginning it was uh, 10 points on a 50 point scoring system 10 points for smell taste and look and a 10 point for the high, but the high got a double score. Looking at the effect, having to win the day. At the end of the day, it couldn't just be the prettiest flower. It had to be something that really rocked you. Uh, now, as we brought indoor in, and our palettes have all changed, and, and it's not just a bunch of Neanderthal guys smoking OG in the woods anymore. It's like, okay, a little bit more of that taste and look and smell is balancing out that effect. And so which one really wins the day? Is it just the high or does it really have to? And so then you really get into people's preferences. So we had a very lively, rowdy debate about which one the best of show this year. And we're going to talk about that because uh, it's a great story and it's really changing the way it is. So, um, you know, what? our judges get together and they learn a massive amount because we're breaking mm -hmm. this all into terpene classification systems. And so they're sitting down and learning all this. And we do the same thing with the concentrates. And boy, you look at the pre-rolls, they have all these categories, infused, non-infused, you know, a solvent, this, that, this. I mean, it's just, and they're so beautiful and stunning now. One thing that we're seeing overall is the quality of the products coming in have significantly been raised. With so much product, people are doing, they don't need to do distillate or CO2 anymore. They're mm -hmm. not doing the solvent uh concentrates aren't as hot anymore because you can get so much live rosin you know and and look at it if you can get a live rosin cart or a live resin cart for as cheap as a co2 or distillate you know you're picking that live rosin or live resin we're not even going to have the co2 or distillate contest next year in five years we've wiped it out Let's wow go. and that's i mean that's that's the progression of the industry and <clears throat> like you said there's so much but competition you know steel sharpens steel as you see things around you get better, it's not always even about wanting to one up the next person in, in a in a one up, one up them to put them out of business. It's like you know, cannabis has always been like, look what I got, look look what I got, hey, look what I got, and we always are looking for something new and seeing iterations of classic things taken to that next level, and it it, it truly does rise everything and and that community you've built. It's no surprise that 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 you're seeing that within the Emerald Cup entries. 
Yeah, and what we'd like to teach and educate people is, look, don't get tied up into CO2 or distillate. Move up into live resin and live rosin. Make a better product right off the top, especially if you're small, because you're not going to compete the two-buck chuck in with Budweiser. That's going to be taken by big boys. And I won't name them, but we all know they're big boys. And so, yeah. you know, it helps people, but it also gives the consumer a better product, too. Consumers come in, and once they taste a wonderful live rosin or live resin cart, they're like, wow, where did this come from? You know, and so it's beautiful. And, you know, the pre-rolls, they used to do, you know, shake in the pre-rolls. Then it became, they started putting the flour in because they had to step that up. Just like you said, your neighbor's doing a flour, so now I got to do a flour. Then it was like, wow, now we're infusing it with live resin or live rosin. Well, I got to do that too. And now you're embarrassed to pull out like a crummy little infused thing that came from CO2. You're like, I don't even want to show that anymore. So I'm really excited for the consumers uh, to see such great quality products. That that's who wins at the, at the battle of who's got the best. The consumer is definitely <laughs> it benefits the most uh, the most from that. And I like how you were saying. I want to take it back. How you were saying you, you graded on a five scale and effects get double because I've seen this conversation a lot and I have it with growers. I'm not a grower, but with with my friends that grow of like what's the most important thing when it comes to cannabis? The look, the smell, the taste. And I've always been taste, but someone recently put it to me where they said effect. And I've, and I've always said, you know, if it doesn't taste good, I don't want it. But someone shifted my perspective recently. I'm still going to probably stick to taste because I'm stubborn. But they said the entire reason you're smoking cannabis is for the effects. And so it's the foundation of why you're even partaking in this. So that's that was their reasoning of why they put effects at the top of the list. Is that something you agree with? Everybody has their own preference and vote. I'm uh, you know, at the, at the day when I grew up, it came back from how high does it get you and what kind of high is it? And that's what we cared about. And if it was really good, it was going to expand and have the taste anyway. So it's going to be there. So we were all looking for something. We were all the first. I mean, a guy came to me and showed me the first super indoor. It's called the Grease Chronic and the Magic. I'd never seen anything that good. It was the best cannabis I'd ever seen. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And that really made everybody stand up and go, wow, look what can be possible. And so that's what we're all doing. We're all looking for something. The interesting thing is that I think what happened was, you know, we were all kind of, I won't say meatheads, but there was a period of time where it was like, we got to have an OG and it's got to be 30%. Now we're seeing so many different types of people come into the industry. So many more women, so many more older people, so many, you know, different types of people. And, you know, some people like, like Austinines or Jacks, you know, uh, you know, for a terpinoline, you know, uh, terpene, and some people like different things, and it's it's good, it's great, it's that diversity. Look, you wouldn't want everybody drinking 151 rum. Most people need a good bottle of wine or a or a good beer, you know. And so it's really uh, it's about educating people to look for what's best for them. And within that, we have such great judges. Uh, I see Sunshine was in there. She did the pre rolls. Wonderful, wonderful lady out of uh, does dry farming out of Humble runs a show on K-Mud. But the pre-rolls, for instance, they've, they've stepped up so high uh, as, you know, it's just, it's it gives the judges, you know, a lot to think about and do. And then you see these conversations being between the judges, which are very animated because these are all, I wouldn't say alpha, but they're all strong personalities, mm -hmm. uh, women too, alike. And so they've all got their feelings. And so to watch them, no, I like this and I like that. And I like this, we like that. And then we, we, you have to come together to that consensus. And so uh, some people, when they watch it, think, 
wow, this is kind of chaotic and are really like they're going at it. It's almost like, man. And I'm like, no, it's a process and it's consensus and it works out. Watch it at the end. Everybody's like, yeah, we got done with the judges, um, the final judges meeting. And it was a contentious finale. And then everybody put on we are the champions from Queen. Everybody's like, yeah, you know, because it's like they realize they've done a great job and they've done it right. And at the end of the day, they just want to make sure that the real uh, deserving winners win. That's what we really want. Yeah. And and that's the thing with preferences, right? Whether we're talking about food, cannabis, our favorite music artist, the greatest insert sport athlete of you know of all time. <clears throat> we're we're never going to unanimously agree on what's the best because we all have our own preferences. And that's one of the things that yeah. I love about cannabis. Um, and, and to me, seeing a, a good menu from a brand or from a farm is being able to appease different demographics. When you look at a, at a lineup from a particular farm, do you feel like they need to offer a diverse selection? And is there things they should hit or even the farm can still have its own preference, you know, in the marketplace that only feeds a certain sect of, of, of the, the market? You know, uh, most farmers were trying to get, you know, a smorgasbord of as many things as they could so they could hit all the avenues in the marketplace. It's awfully tough to do because then you got to market and promote all those different brands and whatnot. It seems like it's more uh, advantageous to concentrate on fewer and get it right and then really, really push those out in the marketplace. But everybody's always trying to find the next best thing, too. So everybody's always doing R&D. They're always trying stuff. They're afraid to just do Gary Payton because that may be old news, you know. And everything gets old news so quick nowadays. I mean, look at the the wedding cakes and all the cakes from just a couple of years ago, you know, and before that, you know, for a while, nobody wanted to pick up an OG. And so you really, you're always trying to stay ahead of the market and guess and figure out what people want, where it's going. Uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting. We're seeing a lot more of the terpinoline, the jacks and the hazes coming in now because they're being crossed and they've got that taste, but they've got a little more oomph to the high. And so mm -hmm. it's really interesting to see that coming in. And I'm not really a Jack or Hayes guy, but I like these crosses, you know. And uh, so it, it is preference. And at the end of the day, when you get 18 judges that all have individual preferences and you've got to make a consensus, that's a rousing conversation in the room. And it is for all the judges. And, uh, you know, but, but it should be like that. You know, if you're judging a food contest, some people are going to like lasagna more with the tomato taste. Some people are going to like it more with the garlic taste. I mean, mm -hmm. how do you say which one's better? I mean, at the end of the day, that's where you have to get that consensus. And, if, and people got to go, you know what? I'm an indoor guy, but that outdoor is better. You know, I'm a jack guy, a sativa guy, but that OG, that, that fuel is better. You know, and that's where you suspend your own personal preferences and look for what's best overall. And our judges do a great job of that. I, I really salute our judges to, uh, for how far they go to really suspend you know, their own belief to really make sure it's the right way. And for you, you know, for the people out there, man, Tim, what what's your all time favorite strain? If you if you had to pick one, I like the unique phenotype of the PK, which uh, came into my uh, reality in about two thousand and four. I brought it up here from LA. I finally got it, and uh, I unleashed it. And they were really mad at me because you're supposed to pay like a bunch of money and never give a clone out. And I gave it to half of Leightonville. They were like, how did Leightonville get that? I didn't tell anybody for years. So I thought they'd come get me. Uh, but Biggin won that, uh, the fourth cup with, uh, with the PK. And I really love that a little different than the OG. Uh, but there's also a sugar reed that my friend developed and he didn't like the fuels and he had cancer and I had cancer. 
and he wanted something that was really good for him. And it was a KC 36 times a skunk. And it was a very unique cultivar because it wasn't a fuel, but it really got you high and that satisfied the fuel people. And it's called Sugaree. And it won quite a few contests over the years. Very unique. And then he passed away. And uh, you don't see it much, but I'd like to get that back if I could because I really like that Sugaree. So the Sugaree is the non-fuel and the PK on the fuel side. Okay, I have to look. I'll have to look for the sugary. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not hip to that one yet, man. Very unique cultivar, and it won many, many awards. I'm surprised he would never give it out. That's why they would never give it out. And sometimes mm. you need to give it out to ensure that it really evolves and continues to grow. You know, um, but he made the choice to keep it. Yeah, that was something that I, I talked to uh, Chemdog, Greg, uh, on the East Coast uh, um, that he said was, you know, sharing. I asked him about sharing, keeping things close knit. And he said, you know, I mean, he was raided by the feds. And he said, if I had not shared my genetics, a lot of those genetics would have disappeared forever. The fact that I shared them, some people due to luck, some people due to care and candor were able to carry on the the, the legacy of those strains longer than he was able to. Hey, you know what? A friend of mine gave me uh, some seeds by accident. Uh, they were the rarest purple African cultivar anybody had ever seen. I popped those seeds and he called me back a few weeks later. He's like, dude, I gave you the wrong seeds. And I'm like, well, I got them growing now. And he's like, well, <laughs> if you just give me back some of them, I'm cool. And I missed the whole boat. I tell people I missed the boat on this one. It was pure purple. It smelled like a, like a, like a rose or something it smelled like an herb or something, not even like anything to do with cannabis, pure purple, wispy, had no life to it. I was like, this thing sucks. And uh, it got seeded in my indoors. And uh, I gave that to a bunch of friends. They were like, no, 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 we, we want to, we want to work with that. And that became the beginning of all the perps, the Mendo perps, everything wow. came from that. And I did, I did not create any of that. My friend Whitey took it and he created the purple dragon I know that uh, Trevor, who had it, gave it to some guys in Willits, and that's where the Mendel Perps came from. And that got bred into everything, okay, because we unleashed it. But I had no idea that it was even that good. I got to say that I actually missed the boat on the purple cultivar completely. Had it within your grasp. And then, <clears throat> you know what? It's okay because it got out there and look what it did. I mean, look at all the different purples and the cushions and everything they brought it back to and all the things they've done. I'm, I'm sure, you know, Ken Estes and some other people did it, but I think he even started with the Mendo perps and stuff. So that was through Trevor and all the rest of them. They did that. You know, it just came through me, but you know, that's what happened. And because it got passed on, it had such an impact. And well, so I understand salute. why sugary was that way, but I would like to have seen him let that sugary out. Yes. Yeah, salute you guys. Cause the perps, man, like I said, I never grew, always sold and, Anything with purple in the early 2000s, I mean, even now, but in the early 2000s, anything with purple was, you were getting a premium for that. If it had any sort of color, you're getting a premium for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, there were some natural purple plants that turned purple with the weather and, you know, conditions and stuff. But this was a purple plant. I mean, it was amazing. The stem, the stalk, the leaves, everything. It was a purple plant, you know. Uh, who knows? this wonderful Classic. part of the, yeah. part of the history <laughs> absolutely absolutely i mean so so for people out there curious man the 19th annual emerald cup awards is coming to richmond california saturday may 13th uh anything else you want to plug real quick tim before we get you up out of here man 
Uh, we're going to have Mila uh, Jensen come with us and accept the Willie Nelson Award. I'm honored to have her come in here. She's a, uh, you know, just an incredible uh, visionary woman who led the way with, with hash and concentrates and uh, really helped us develop that, that whole thing that she taught people around the world and stuff and freely gave that information out. So we're really great to see her and the rest of the folks. This is a private event. I'd love for it to be a public event, uh, but we're doing uh, sharing and sampling. And so it's going to be 3,000 people with judges and contestants and guests and crew and sponsors, but uh, it's going to be an amazing event on the water. We're going to start and uh, we're going to watch the sunset. We're going to watch the sunrise and have a breakfast uh, for the survivors. And uh, it's going to be an amazing event. And uh, next year for the 20th anniversary, we'll make sure to get the public involved and uh, we'll have a public event. I love that. Well, well, Tim, super appreciate you joining us. The Emerald Cup is this weekend. I know respect my, I will sadly not be there. I'll be up here in Washington, but my counterpart, Joey, should be in attendance down there in Richmond. Um, but appreciate everything you're doing for the industry, man. It, it, it's uh, been involved in this game a long time and had a lot of impact in a lot of ways. So just uh, hats off to you, man. Really appreciate everything you're doing. Well, thank you. Thank you to all the people like yourself that are doing the work. I say it all the time. It's through education we're making the changes. And it's people like you that are working for peanuts that are doing it. And without you, uh, we don't make that change. So we're all a team and we're all just moving this forward. And if you look at cannabis and you look at plant medicines and what's happening, we're going to heal this uh, country and the planet because people are going to calm down and get balanced because uh, we're going to use these plant medicines in the right way. I love that, man. I appreciate you, Tim. This is the Respect My Region podcast. If you're on YouTube, man, somewhere underneath Tim's a subscribe button. Make sure to hit that. You listen on Spotify, Apple, make sure to follow. We'll be back with more content this week. Appreciate everyone tuning in.